Hey, can you think of a, a teacher in your life who especially made an impact on you? Yeah, most of us probably can. I've heard a lot of this was my favorite teacher stories over the years. But, but who comes to your mind when I raise that question? Your favorite teacher, and why would you say that about that person? But my guess is for the, for the why part, there, there could be a lot of different reasons why that particular individual was your favorite teacher. In some cases, it might have little to do with what you actually learned in class. It might have more to do with just the, the character of that individual. I, I've always thought that my favorite teacher in elementary school was a woman named Mrs. Werner. She was my fourth grade teacher. And if you ask me this morning, well, what did you learn in fourth grade? Here's my answer. I can't remember a thing. Now, I, I'm assuming, I'm going to assume I learned something, but, but that's not why, in my case, Mrs. Werner was my favorite teacher in elementary school. So the why was it? It's because of her kindness. And you might say, that's it? That, that is it. For, for some reason, I, I don't know if at that point in my life that was especially impactful to me, but what I remember about her, and I can still picture her, I remember how kind she was to me and to the other students. And that might be true for you too. That your favorite teacher was that because of the way she treated or he treated you and your classmates. It's just memorable even to this day. And you realize for me, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since I was in fourth grade. Thank you for not amening that um, with shouts of glee. But, but, but that's true, but I still remember her. In other cases, it might be because they introduced you to a topic for the very first time. That teacher is your favorite because he or she taught you X. Now, that happened to me in sixth grade when a um, sixth grade social studies teacher taught on the Holocaust. As far as I can remember, I, I don't think I knew anything about the Holocaust until sixth grade in that particular unit in social studies. But I can still remember some of the pictures that were shown on the wall. I can still remember some of the pages in the book that we were studying. I can still remember some of that teacher's lectures. And that impacted me, and it impacted me deeply. I'm glad somebody taught me about that. For somebody else, it might be a teacher who convinced you about the importance or the centrality of an idea that was so profound that that actually became one of your core beliefs to this day. You are who you are, and you believe what you believe on that particular point because of that teacher, that teacher. Many people who went to Baptist Bible College when I was there, they still talk about this man right here. That is Dr. Rembert Carter. Dr. Carter received his Ph.D. from the University of Edinburgh. They don't give those out in Cracker Jack boxes. I mean, he was a brilliant man for sure. And he taught freshman and sophomore level classes like history of Western civilization. There was a fun class. History of Western Civ, Baptist distinctives, fine arts. And his lectures, I mean, when I look at just seeing that picture, they were just mesmerizing. He was so intelligent. But more than that, he really believed. He believed what he was teaching. He was very, very passionate in his delivery. And he wanted you to believe it too. And if you say, well, how did you do in his, his classes, like fine arts, how'd that go? <laughs> Not so good. In fact, I remember the day in 
fine arts class as a freshman, a lecture hall filled with students. He called out and he said, Viers, you are a cultural clod, he said, right, right there in front of everybody. And I don't even remember what it was that I had either asked or did, or I have no idea why Dr. Rembert Carter thought it was important to identify to the world that I was a cultural clod, but, but that's what he said on that particular day. There's a there's a um, nickname that your friends aren't going to let you forget. He also, he gave eraser tests. You ever had to take an eraser test? And the way an eraser test worked, at least in his class, you got not just a test, but you got a card. It was kind of like, not that I would know anything about this, but like a lottery ticket. So it was, it was multiple choice, but you had to scratch off until you got the right answer. And so you couldn't cheat. The person sitting next to you had a different test and a different key on either side. And so the way it worked, you kept scratching until you got the right answer. And the idea was there was immediate feedback because you finally figured out which was the right answer. But your grade was dependent on how few scratches you had to make in order to find all the right answers. Now, I'm going to tell you that was maddening. And you did learn, you, you would take your little nickel and you could just scratch a little bit and start to see and maybe you learned all sorts of, all sorts of tricks. But, but, but I'm going to tell you, to, to this day, there are things that I know, that I believe, I got them from that man right there, from Dr. Rembert Carter. So if you've ever been an intro to faith and you've ever asked me, hey, what's a Baptist church? What are the Baptist distinctives? Bam. I don't have to go to some book. I don't have to look, look that up. B, biblical authority. A, autonomy of the local church. P, priesthood of the believers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why does that just roll off of my tongue? And more importantly, why does that come out of my heart? It's because of that teacher right there. It's because of Dr. Rembert Carter. He drilled that information into me only like a good teacher can do. This summer, we're talking about hope for fruitful service. And so the first set of messages at the beginning of the summer focused on fruitful character from 2 Peter 1, 5 to 7. Well, now we've pivoted the second half of the summer to a discussion of the spiritual gifts. Why? Well, because one of the primary reasons we can have hope for fruitful service is the, it's just the amazingly encouraging truth that God's given each one of His children. Are you a child of God? If you are, this statement applies to you. God has given each one of His children at least one spiritual gift for the building up of the body of Christ. So Peter said it like this, as each one, there it is, as each one has received a special gift, you have one. Again, if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, you have at least one. As each one has received a special gift, do something with it. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That is some very, very good news for every man and woman who's become a follower of Christ. Now, there, there are several different passages of Scripture that list some of the spiritual gifts. And, and we say it that way on purpose because what's interesting is you compare these different, let's say, gift lists in the New Testament, they're, they're not identical. So you have to do something with that. that. That's led some Bible students to conclude, well, that the lists aren't intended to be exhaustive. The lists are intended to be illustrative. You have to decide what you believe about that. But the one that we're following this summer is Romans 12, 6 to 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And aren't you glad for that? Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if all of us were alike? 
right? We only need one cultural clod around here. Is that true? So, so aren't you glad we're... <laughs> we're I know. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We read that in Peter. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with with cheerfulness. Well, this morning our assignment is to seek to find hope in the Spirit's gifts of teaching and exhortation. And to learn more about that, I want to invite you to open your Bible now to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. That's on page 163 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So finding hope in the Spirit's gift of teaching and exhortation, 1 Timothy 4, 13, page 163 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Now, while you're turning there, let me just talk for a minute about the, the process that we plan to follow this morning. These gifts of teaching and exhortation, especially as they're explained in the passage we're about to study, it's speaking first and foremost of pastors. However, it's a, it's a very short walk from there to all sorts of teaching positions in the local church. It's amazing and encouraging to think about how many people in a given week at this church are doing some kind of teaching, whether they're Sunday school teachers or ABF teachers or youth leaders or small group leaders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's amazing how many people in this church have the gift of teaching, have the gift of exhortation. And many of us would say, I benefit from that. I benefit from the ministry of a teacher or teachers week in and week out or the other members of my family are benefiting from the teachers that God has placed in their life week in and week out. Well, if you would say that this morning, what does that mean? That means the Lord is giving us gifts. That's what that is. The Lord has given you that that gift. Men and women who have the ability to teach the Word of God in ways that help draw people to Christ, in ways that help equip others to become more like God's Son. So, you could talk about pastors, but you could certainly talk about teachers in the local church. But we could extrapolate it out with with general principles we're going to see in this passage to all forms of teaching. So, for example, much of what we're about to study from this passage, it it applies to parents. Why? Well, because mom and dads are, are teachers, like many of us. We learn some of the most important truths that we believe and live to this day from who? You learn that one from daddy. Maybe a long, long time ago, you learned that one from mom a long, long time ago. And if that happened in that particular concept, mom and dad were functioning as, as a teacher. There's also all these teachers getting ready to head back to school. And I'm sorry to bring that up. Some of you students might say, don't say it. <laughs> it's true whether I say it or not. And I realize some of you teachers might say, doubly don't say it. <laughs> well, whether we're talking about homeschoolers whether we're talking about public school um, or Christian school, but there are, there are general principles that are found in the passage we're going to study that apply to them as well. And I'm going to try to weave that into the message as much as we possibly can this morning. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. 
where Paul says to his beloved Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, there's the first gift, and to teaching the second. And then he says this, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself. Pay close attention to your teaching. Persevere in these things. And then he makes an incredible statement. We'll talk about what this means toward the end of our message this morning. For as you do this, hey, how important is, is teaching? For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. We're talking this morning about finding hope in the Spirit's gifts of teaching and exhortation. And what we're going to do now is just walk our way through the logic of that text, looking for five challenges for those who are called to be teachers. If you're going to do this, what are the challenges we're going to have to face and what are the challenges in the power of God we're going to have to overcome? Well, first of all, embrace the teacher's focus. Paul says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. It's interesting, I think, how much of this passage it has to do with what a teacher is going to focus on or what a teacher is going to prioritize. So, so if God has given you the gift of teaching in any way, shape, or form, you have to decide what you're going to do with it. And you have to decide how much of an emphasis you're going to place on developing that gift well, if we're talking about teaching in the church and teaching for a follower of Christ, the focus first and foremost has to be giving attention to the Word of God. See, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And Timothy, by the way, was Paul's son in the faith. He was a dear, dear man. You may remember what Paul said to the Philippians about young Timothy. He said this, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So what kind of teacher was he? We're, we're talking about that. So that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth. Here's what Timothy was like. You know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things are going with me. That's high praise. Coming from somebody like the Apostle Paul, many people believe that this book, 1 Timothy, was written after Paul had been released from his first imprisonment. And what was Timothy doing at the time? So he's the recipient of the book. Timothy's been left behind to pastor the church at Ephesus and to address a number of problems that were lingering there. Well, what was going to be his source of truth as he sought to speak into these issues? On what was he going to focus? And the answer is the Word of God, which is why Paul would tell him in 2 Timothy, preach the Word. We're not talking about human ideas. We're not talking about something that might just be appealing to human wit. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. Can you imagine that? But wanting their ears tickled. Can you imagine that? They will accumulate for themselves teachers 
wrong teachers, false teachers. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. That's why any person who is teaching here at faith in any way, shape, or form would say this, thank the Lord for the men and women who attend this church. Why? Because this church family doesn't want their ears tickled. That, that is a, you say, what can I do to be a blessing to a teacher? Be a person who wants to hear the Word of God. Be a person who does not want to have your ears tickled. People come to this church because they want to hear what the Bible says. They want to hear what the Bible means. They want to hear how the Bible applies practically to everyday life. And Paul describes that process with two primary words. He says exhortation. It's a beautiful word, parakaleo. Para means alongside, and the emphasis there is relationship. This isn't impersonal. This isn't just the dissemination of facts. Para means relationship. It means coming alongside. Kaleo means to call. And that's a, that's a very, very important part of the teaching role. We're talking about exhorting the Word of God in personal ways, in relational ways that truly care about the life of the person who's being taught. Last Sunday, I was speaking at a friend's church up in Crown Point. He's a dear man. I've been friends with him for 25 years or longer. God has really blessed their church up there. We have a number of um, contacts. And so for over a year, he's been trying to find a time when I wasn't scheduled to be at one of our campuses so I could come up and speak at his church. And I was more than delighted. Going back up to the region, going back up to where I grew up. And um, so I was more than happy to do that. And I'm glad for the opportunity. But I'll tell you this. It's just different. And I do, just as part of my job, part of my mission here, ministry here, I end up being assigned to go to other places to, to speak from time to time. I don't like that nearly as much as being here. And I'll tell you why, because they're just not the relationship. They don't know you, you, you don't know them, and so it, you're just not the same. And again, I don't want to diminish those opportunities, I want to do the best I possibly can, but, but exhortation. Exhortation includes the coming alongside part. And if you would say of teachers in your life, it's not just a matter of that person's going to give a good lesson. That person cares about me. That person knows me. That person is interested in what's going on in my heart and life. So it's not just a matter of exegeting the text. It's a matter of exegeting the person. That's what exhortation does. And then the second word, teaching, didaskalia, Literally, the, the systematic explanation of the Word of God. You may remember this scene in the, the book of Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah 8, 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above. Picture this in your mind. It's fascinating, really. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. This is after the wall's been built. For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they, they bowed low, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Picture that. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, a whole list of people with interesting names. The Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so they understood the reading. That, that's teaching. And Paul says, give your attention to that. And if you say, now how powerful a concept is that, that giving attention 
If a teacher, regardless whether they're talking about a parent, grandparent, we're talking about a teacher in any way, shape, or form. If a teacher is supposed to give attention to the exercising to that gift, how powerful are we talking about? Here's another just point from this passage. Look over at 1 Timothy 3. So just one chapter ahead. Chapter 3, verse 3, it's part of the qualifications of the pastor. There's a word in verse 3 of chapter 3 that's the exact same as the word attention in chapter 4, verse 13. See if you can see it. Chapter 3, verse 3, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. What word in verse 3 do you think is the same as attention in chapter 4, verse 13? It's the word addicted. How seriously do you have to think about something, somebody being addicted to something? How seriously does a teacher have to take the exercise of his or her gift that seriously? And I would encourage you to pray for your pastors, especially on Mondays and Tuesdays on that particular point. Say, why Mondays and Tuesdays? Because that's the day when we're preparing for Sunday. So whoever is scheduled to speak at one of our campuses on the the following Sunday, they're going to put their message together on Monday or Tuesday. Why? A lot of reasons. One is because we want to be sure that there's time for our staff to prepare the PowerPoints and the handouts. We want to have the information to our worship team so they can craft all of their... So we don't want to jam people up by doing things late and last minute. That's one reason. But a more important reason is we generally counsel on Mondays, but then if we're going to be preaching the following Sunday, we want to get right at the task of studying the Word of God. Because otherwise, as a pastor, there's all sorts of administrative things, there's all sorts of emails, there's all sorts of other stuff that can crowd that out. And we want to try to do exactly what this passage of Scripture is saying. Make it a priority. You've got to focus on this particular task, and you've got to focus on this first and foremost. And I would encourage you to pray for us. I would also encourage you to pray for um, every teacher who's teaching at any level at faith, that we would exercise the spiritual gift in a way that embraces the teacher's focus. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now, Paul goes on to say this, another challenge, you're going to have to avoid the teacher's pitfall. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. So, so what's, the, what's the pitfall? It's neglecting the Spirit's gift of teaching. Now, I know, I'm, I'm going I'm to say it as sweetly as I can, but there will be people who, who hear this message this morning, and the fact of the matter is God's given you the gift of teaching, and you're neglecting it. <laughs> and so, I love you, but what do you need to do about that? Stop neglecting it. <laughs> That's about as simple as it can be. Now, now why, why might a person be gifted by the Spirit of God in teaching and, and neglect it? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question. There really are. There are a lot of answers. Here's one of them. Uh, fear. Fear that, that, that some people won't like what the Word of God has to say. <laughs> you know, do you know anybody in that, like that in your life? Or, or who just wants to sit around and argue about things? In fact, Paul had already raised that issue earlier in this book. He said, for some men straying from these things have turned aside the fruitless discussion. Some people like that wanted to be teachers of the law, even though they don't understand either what they're saying or matters about which they make confident assertions. Who would want to take that on week after week after week? What's the answer to that? 
Well, somebody who's been given the gift of teaching. That's who. See, see don't neglect it. Now, now, we know that Timothy struggled with fear. That's why Paul would tell him in his next epistle, written during Paul's second imprisonment, he said, now, for God's not given us a spirit of timidity. See, 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 don't neglect this gift. God's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Don't neglect the gift. Which is why the verse just before the one that I just read, 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason I remind you, kindle afresh the gift of God. Don't give in to timidity. Don't worry about what some people might say negatively as you're trying to teach the Word. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the embers of the fire. That, that's the picture. And if you say, you know, God's given me that gift, and for whatever reason I've been neglecting that gift, what would the Lord want you to do? Stir that baby up, just like a fire. A fire's going, what do you do when the fire's going out? You get a stick and you stir that baby up, right, till that thing is blazing again. That's the idea. I remind you, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands And you might be here this morning, and God's given you the gift to teach at some level, and the truth of the matter is, at least right now, you're neglecting it. What does the Lord want you to do? Stop neglecting it. Stir it up. You could talk to one of your service pastors. You could talk to um, your deacon, and you could ask um, that person, hey, what are some teaching opportunities that exist here? Because I want to be sure if I've been gifted in that way, I want to be sure that I'm exercising that gift in a way that honors the Lord. And you won't have to ask twice. You won't have to ask twice. And you say, well, I, I, I don't know about this. Well, don't miss this next part. It's respecting the church's affirmation. Paul says, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. You might say, we don't do it that. We don't even have a presbytery. Nobody's laying their hands on me, so I'm free. No, no, no. Here's the point. What is the principle of that? Let your church family help you determine whether you're gifted in this area. This is not an individual issue. This is a local church issue. Let your church family help you determine whether you're gifted in this area. So if you're regularly being asked to teach or in your heart you believe you should, don't neglect the gracious teaching gift that the Lord has given you. Now, Paul goes on to tell Timothy, pursue the teacher's priorities. Take pains with these things. Be be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. What does that mean? You, You have to immerse yourself in exercising this gift. I like what commentator John Stott said about this. Paul goes on to Timothy's need for concentration and perseverance. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. The the second of these two exhortations, this is very important. The second of these two exhortations means literally be in them. So if you look in the original language, that be, the teacher has to immerse themselves in that. That is, immerse yourself in these matters. Devote yourself to them with all your heart and soul. The Revised English Bible catches the emphasis well. Make these matters your business and make them your your absorbing interest. I, I want to encourage you this morning to think about all of the teachers in your life, 
All the teachers in the life of our church, people who are making, exercising this God-given gift a high priority. That's what they're doing. They They are taking pains in these things. They're being absorbed in them. And if you have people like that in your life, and if you're here, you do, then I would ask you this question next. What privilege and what responsibility do we have as we watch such persons exercise their gifts and as we benefit directly or indirectly from their work? What responsibility and privilege do we have to those whom God has gifted as teachers? So, so let's go backwards of the way that I laid it out at the beginning. Let, let's start with parents. Um, what about parents? Um, men and women who are genuinely seeking to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How can we be a blessing to those kind of teachers? How about looking for an opportunity to commend them for something good that is happening in the life of their child? You know, we live in a very negative world. We live in a very critical world. We live in a very cynical world. How about less criticism? That was teenagers. How about less criticism and how about more gratefulness? And how about saying to that mom or dad, you know, I saw your son do this. I saw your daughter do that. And that really impacted me. It caused me to thank Jesus Christ for working in and through your child in that way. And I just want to tell you, I want to tell you thank you for doing a great job as a dad. Thank you for doing a great job as a mama. It's obvious that you are teaching your children, and by God's grace, some of it is catching on. And it's a blessing to me, and it's a blessing to this church. It's a blessing to our school. It's a blessing to our community. Good job. Good job, Mom. Good job, Dad. You're doing the work of teaching, and I have noticed that. I'll tell you right now, that could have an impact on a teacher in this church today. What what about this? What about people in our church family who teach in public schools? Would we consider that to be a vital and valuable mission field? What's the answer to that question? For those who believe they're called to teach in public schools in this town, do we as a church, regardless of whether we have a Christian school or not, would we believe that that is a vital and valuable mission field? And the answer to that is yes. That, That should have been a big yes. I understand you were just thinking and praying about it. But the answer to that question is a big, big yes. What about, and this would be a perfect time of the year to do it, what about coming alongside one of those persons who's serving in that way and just offering to be a prayer partner for them this year and say, hey, listen, I want you to know I got your back. I'm going to be praying specifically for you. And if you've got some challenges with a child, you've got some challenges with um, a parent, you've got some challenges, just, just throw it out there to me. I got your back. I appreciate the job you're doing teaching, and I want to pray for you. Or can I serve you? Can I come over and grade papers? I don't know if that's legal or not, but, but if it is. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, well, there you go. Michelle has spoken. Um, offering to, to, to grade papers or to make bullet. Do, do you even do bulletin? I have not been in a school in a while. Is bulletin boards even a thing? Okay, that's still a thing. I'm not. Back to me being a cultural clod. But, but anyway, but bulletin boards. Or how about that? dropping off their favorite beverage? So say, how can I support you in the work that you're doing? I hope you're thinking about um, women and men who teach in our Christian school. But what a delight to behold. And, and I hope, by the way, I hope we never take it for granted. Everything that's happening around this, um, our school 
And I'm around our building enough to know it's certainly not a nine-to-five job. Our teachers immerse themselves in exercising the teaching gift that God has given them. And I hope this, I hope you regularly commend your um, child's teacher. And if you ever have some kind of a problem that has to be worked out, and that happens too, I understand that. But, but if you ever have some sort of a problem that, that has to be worked out, um, I hope it's after you've thanked and encouraged and praised that teacher ten times first. What, what about um, people who teach in or who are homeschooling? What about that? How about coming alongside and offering to help? You know, maybe you have a particular skill. You might say, I'm not much of a teacher, but I know this. I'm not really an a, a organized teacher, but I, I know something about that. How about saying to that homeschool uh, family or maybe a group of homeschool families, I'd be more than happy to do a unit on X just to lighten your load and to get some time with your kids. In fact, when I, I tell you, when I started thinking about that, and I hope this is humble as it's intended, but um, I thought, you know, here's, here's a class I could teach. Do you know what it'd be? Pool building. I thought, I just think about this, and I've been, I've been in Los Angeles the last couple of days, so I've been on a lot of airplanes, so some of this is like 35,000 feet thinking, and I thought, you know, I could teach a class. We could pick one homeschool family that wants a pool, and we could get all the homeschoolers together, and I could teach that group of homeschool students how to build a pool. And then how to have a lifetime of stories about how to build pools. So there's all kinds of ways. That didn't go over very well, but there you have it. Let's bring it into the local church. Again, think about it. I asked Pastor Garner this week, can you just give me an idea of how many teachers do we have in this church in a typical week, how many people are teaching? He said it's well over 100. And he wasn't talking about small group leaders and all that. He was just talking about in the formal um, ministries of this church, well over a hundred people, and they do exactly what Paul commanded Timothy to do. They take pains with these things. They're absorbed with them. Whatever you were doing last night, do you know what the teachers of this church were doing last night? They were going over that lesson one more time. That's what they were doing. Why? Because they're absorbed in it. Because they're taking pains not only to do it, but to do it well. And I hope when you pick up your child from Sunday school, if that's the phase of life you're in, I hope you thank that teacher. And every so often, it'd be good to write a thank you note. You realize that's becoming a lost art in this culture. Even saying thank you is becoming a lost art in this culture. Or writing out a thank you note or maybe a gift card. Hey, listen, you give up so many nights preparing to teach my child. Here's a gift card. Please go to Longhorn and have a big stake on me. Why not as an opportunity just to thank those that the Lord has given the gift of teaching in this church? There's also the issue of authenticity. So that your, your progress, Paul says, may be evident to all I appreciated this quote from Stott as well. He said this, The example which Christian leaders set then, whether in their life or their ministry, should be dynamic and progressive. That's two very important words. People should be able to observe not only what they are, but what they're becoming, supplying evidence that they're growing in maturity in Christ. Some Christian leaders imagine that they have to appear perfect with no visible flaws or blemishes. <laughs> yeah. But, but there are at least two reasons why this is a mistake. First, it's hypocritical. Yep. Since none of us is a paragon of all virtues, yep, yep, it's dishonest to pretend to be. 
Secondly, the pretense discourages people who then suppose that their leaders are altogether exceptional and even inhuman. Have you had reason to think about that for me like even once? Um, exceptional and even inhuman. <laughs> nope. Paul himself conceded that he had not arrived, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I press on. In the same way, we should not give the false impression that we've reached our goal. On the contrary, we're still on the road. We're still pr- um, pilgrims. We see the truth of that principle played out week after week after week around here of teachers that God is growing over time. When Pastor Good hired me 36 years ago, he immediately put me in the preaching rotation. He also created a, a new Sunday school class that was right over there in, in that gym. So I'd have an opportunity to teach there as well. Preaching isn't something you study in books. You have to do it. It's like so many things in life, you just have to practice. And I am so, some of you were here back then. And I, I'm very, very thankful for the patience of this church family. And you might say, you might say you're not very good now. You should have seen back then. You should have seen back then. Now, Pastor Good had some fun along the way as he was trying to develop me. If you follow the story, you know Pastor and Mrs. Good used to be up in Gary. And so that's where I'm from. And so I was a little boy in their church. And then when I turned 13, they came down here to Lafayette. You can decide whether there's any correlation between me becoming a teenager and them fleeing town. But, but anyway... So they're down here in Lafayette, but we maintained a connection. And so eventually I started going to a Christian high school, and I was in a choir, a traveling choir that the Christian high school had, and we would go around on the churches on choir tour, and we'd sing, of course, but then also one of the young guys in the, in the choir would also give some sort of a devotional. So sure enough, because Pastor Good still had contacts up in the Gary area, our school, when I was in high school, came to Faith Baptist Church back when it was on South 18th Street, and we did a a concert, and then guess who it was who preached on that particular day? Well, that was me, okay? So so then I graduated from high school, went through all my education, and ended up here 10 or 12 years later. Well, guess what Pastor Good went back into the archives and found? The cassette tape uh, and I know some of you have no idea what that means. The, the cassette tape of when I had preached here when I was 16 years old. And here's, in fact, Nancy Johnson is sitting back here. She might even remember this. Pastor Good used to think it was funny. When this building was first built, it had a sound system, and he would take that tape of me preaching when I was 16 years old during the week, put it in the cassette player, and play it through all the speakers around here. <laughs> Just to remind me, I think, of how bad it used to be. No doubt about that. Need, there was a need for progress. Well, in seriousness, aren't you glad to watch the development of our younger pastoral staff members? And I do believe one of the, the ways that I can serve this church family the best is by having as many gifted preachers and teachers as possible. It's what Paul said to Timothy when he said, The things which you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And sure, every so often another church steals one of our staff members away to be one of their senior pastors. But you know, even that, that teaches a lesson. The progress is being made and it's evident um, to all. And when one of these younger guys speaks around here, and I know you do it, and it makes a big difference, commending them, thanking them for their progress, that can have a tremendous impact on someone who's young in the ministry 
Paul says, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Then he said, adopt the teacher's humility. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Pay attention to yourself. Very similar to what Paul had said to the Ephesian elders back in Acts 20. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And that's true in a lot of ways including Timothy's own temptation not to do what these verses of Scripture are saying because of fear, because of timidity. Are you willing to exercise this gift faithfully even in a culture when sometimes it's hard? Now, now something else we need to deal with somewhere along the line here. It's where should the gift be exercised first? And that goes back to where we started this morning, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, this is being written to Christians. So if you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, please don't think about exercising your gift. First of all, think about coming to Christ with empty hands, acknowledging to Him your own sin, your own need, and then placing your faith and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. That's where all of this starts. And if you've not done that, we really want to talk with you about it. But assuming you have, this passage says each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another in the local church. This is a a local church context for sure. Well, what about the person? Think about this. What about the person who would say, well, I teach or exercise whatever gift God has given me out in the world all week or in my job all week, so don't ask me to do that same thing in the Lord's house on Sunday or in some other local church ministry throughout the week. I just want to ask you, what about that? Someone who would say, I use my gift out in other places. I have no intention of using that in local church ministry. We're not going to be legalistic about that. Every situation is unique. I understand that. Ultimately, this is between you and the Lord. But tell me about this conversation. I had a conversation with a man who used his particular gift at work all week, And when he was asked to serve in the church in the same way, here's what he said to me. That would be like asking the mailman to go for a walk on his day off. You understand what he's talking about, a mailman who would walk all through the week. And you asking me then to serve in the church in the same way, that would be like asking a mailman um, to go for a walk on his day off. Is that okay? See, shouldn't the Lord and his people receive our best? Shouldn't the Lord and His people receive our first fruits? Pay attention to yourself, Paul says. Pay attention to your teaching. And again, I know I I just hammered this this morning. But when you see that happening, I want to encourage you to commend that person. About a year ago, I was asked to do a wedding up in northwest Indiana. That's, again, where, where I grew up. And it was for Mackenzie Chapman. And her husband, now husband, Ryan, they go over to Faith West. And so Mackenzie is from northwest Indiana. She was down here at Purdue um, to get her degree. She met Ryan. So they wanted to have their wedding up in northwest Indiana, but they wanted a connection back to Faith. So they asked me if I would do the wedding, and I was more than happy to do that up in northwest Indiana. Well, this gets a little bit convoluted, but I think you'll get the point. I went to school with Mackenzie's parents. So um, I knew her parents, which also means I knew Mackenzie's grandfather. So back when I was growing up in northwest Indiana, Mackenzie's grandfather was a young man. 
He was a young married man. He was a leader in his church. He was a leader in the Calumet area, the Christian school up there. I just knew Mackenzie's grandfather as just a godly man. And what I remember about him was he was always just encouraging us teenagers to live for God. He was patting us on the back. He was encouraging us to do the right thing. He was commending us when he saw us doing something. That's what I remember about uh, Mackenzie's grandfather, Kenny Van Trees. Well, now it's 40 years later. I hadn't seen Kenny Van Trees in 40 years. So now I go up to do that wedding last summer. I knew that her grandfather was facing um, physical challenges. I believe he has Parkinson's, but I know he has very, very limited mobility. So as we're getting ready to, to do the wedding, they brought um, her grandfather, Kenny Van Trees, to the front row, and they had to give him assistance so that he could sit in the front row and watch the wedding. So then I did the wedding, did the best job I could, and then when I was done, Mackenzie and Ryan had asked me to stay up and they were going to do some special dismissals, and then I was going to dismiss everybody else. And that left me up on the platform for kind of an unusual period of time in a typical wedding. So I'm just standing there, kind of panning over the crowd and just kind of watching everything happen. And I happened to look over at Kenny Van Treese on the front row. And here's what Kenny Van Treese did. With all of his might, with what limited physical ability and strength he had, he goes like this. He gave me a thumbs up, an attaboy. In other words, good job on the wedding. And I thought, that's what Kenny Van Trees has been doing for people like me as long as I've known him. And look, I'm 63 years old. I'm not sure how many attaboys I need, but it did encourage my heart. And what really encouraged me was that guy doesn't have a whole lot of strength. That guy doesn't have a whole lot of mobility left, and yet he's doing everything he's got. Way to go. Good job on the wedding. I commend you for the work you're doing. I want to be more like Kenny Van Treese. I want to have that kind of an impact, don't you? On those that the Lord has placed around us who are exercising their gift of teaching and exercising it well. Well, it's pretty amazing how this passage ends. Um, thankfully, they didn't say anything about this passage about going short. But, but anyway, celebrate the, the teacher's impact. And I realize it might not sound like a fifth challenge until we realize you have to persevere in order to get to verse 16. And we have teachers. Think about this. We have teachers, including some who are listening to this sermon right now, who would count their faithfulness in teaching not in months, not in years, but in decades. Praise God for people like that. And what the passage says is your perseverance will confirm your salvation. And you might say, how could that be? Well, we know it can't mean that a faithful teacher earns his or her salvation by exercising the gift. But, but the fact that he or she is living this way, it affirms to all who are watching the Spirit of Jesus Christ working in and through that ministry. Why? Because ultimately, the great teacher is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're not talking about you becoming a better version of you. Don't you hate that phrase? Become the best version of you. Give me something better than that. Well, how about becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, the great teacher? And then amazingly, your faithfulness may be used to draw somebody else to the Savior. Wow. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and what? For those who hear you. We're to the place in life now where we're not just seeing the impact of teachers on children, but on grandchildren. There is nothing like hearing a grandchild pray. There's nothing like hearing a grandchild sing. 
a great Christian song. There's nothing like hearing a grandchild recite a, a verse of Scripture. That's the product of teachers, my friends, exercising their beautiful God-given gift. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for giving people like us gifts, gifts of the Spirit, and thank you for giving us clear instruction about how and where to use them. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help us as we think about the various applications of this. And I do thank you. I thank you that Jesus was and is our great teacher. And thank you, Lord, for the many, many faithful teachers in this church family. Lord, help us to to commend them and thank them for their work. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.